0: I love that last song. It, you know, makes me think of our scripture memory that we're doing as a church. Hint, hint. It is uh, January 20th. Almost done with January. How are we doing on verse 1? Verse 1 for the month. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim His handiwork. Amen. I love to hear that. I love that. Praise God. Well, uh, we are, uh, if you're just joining us this morning, we are three weeks into our series on the church. we got three weeks left. Um, this week we're going to be looking at our calling uh, and our mission as the church. Um, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer this morning before we begin. Father, you are beautiful. Lord, you define beauty. God, you are seen in creation, as Romans 1 chapter says, Romans 1 says, God, um, what you're seen, as the psalm says, Lord, in the heavens, in your creation, the animals, the skies, Lord, and in us, Psalm 139 says, we are, uh, we are made, Lord, beautifully in your image, each and every one of us. And so, I praise you and I thank you for each one who is here this morning, God, and I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit, that it would be your Holy Word that is heard in our hearts and our minds this morning, God, that you would do a great and mighty work that can only be explained by you, Father, by your Spirit, by your Word, by your power. So we commit this time to you, Lord. I pray that you would be our teacher, not a man. In Jesus' name, and for your sake, God, amen. Alright, so here is our series, here is our, our definition. We've been reminding ourselves each week of what the church is, or more properly, who the church is. It's not a building, uh, it's not a country club, it is an institution that was founded by Christ and it is the people of God who are reflecting the character of God for the glory of God. And so if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's so where we're going to spend most of our time today in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 through 12. Um, I'm going to read that and if you're able to stand for 12 verses, please uh, stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. Um, this is not just a formality, um, it, is, it is an honor to him and to his word. So First Peter in chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 says this, So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. And like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And what I want you to see in these following verses through verse 12, what I want you to see, what I want you to hear, what I want you to imagine in your mind uh, is, is as he talks about uh, Christians or the church and then those who are outside of the church as we think about this question, what is our mission and calling as the church? So as you come to him, verse 4, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, there's one group, "'Chosen and precious. "'You yourselves, though,' another group, "'like living stones, are being built up. "'The church is being built up as a spiritual house "'to be a holy priesthood, "'to offer spiritual sacrifices "'acceptable to God through Jesus Christ.'" Verse 6, "'For it stands in Scripture, "'Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a "'a cornerstone, chosen and precious, "'and whoever believes in him "'will not be put to shame.'" So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, the church, is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies. There's our mission. A holy nation who proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not his people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. You may be seated. The, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, catechisms aren't used a lot today, but catechisms are uh, public publications where you have a question and then answer form. And so if I asked Tommy, I said, hey, Tommy, who created you? Her answer would be very simple. It would be God created you. That's what a catechism is. The, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first one in it, says that the chief end of man, the man's, that, 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 that any man who is born in the image of God, their highest, most noblest, greatest thing that they can do with their life is that they can glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Now, you could preach a whole sermon on that. Um, but what I want to, what, 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 what do I want to point out in that? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that we live in a world that not all people glorify God by enjoying Him. And that is because of the fact that we do not live in the very good world that God created when He spoke everything into existence. And then in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, He said, Behold, all of this is very good. We live in a Genesis 3 post Genesis 3, I should say, fallen world. And so today, people who are not God's people, as we talked about in, in, in week one um, in this series, is that throughout history, and you, you, you even look at the Bible, <clears throat> you can see this, is that you have, you have God's people, and then people who are not God's people. They disobey the word. They have rejected the cornerstone, as it says in 1 Peter 2 they make their highest pursuit or their greatest treasure in life themselves instead of God. And if they do not receive the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, they will spend an eternity under God's wrath in hell. Now, this should shake us. That reali- the reality of hell is not something that should scare us as believers because God took the wrath that we deserved upon christ and so we don't have to fear hell if we have repented and trusted in christ for salvation but others that we know that we go to school with that we work with that in our community they don't have that safety and it should really affect us and shake us because of the fact of the matter is we used to be those people it, remember it says, you did not receive mercy. There was a time we, we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We used to be these people. We were not people of God, and now we are people of God. So as God's people, the first um, handout, or first uh, fill in the blank on your, on your bulletin insert this morning, um, is that we see the big thing here is, is our call as believers is to Holiness. Because God is holy. We see that in First in, in Peter chapter 2. And we see it in First uh, Peter chapter 1 verse 15 and 16. We are called to holiness because God is holy. That is our calling. And as we grow in imaging Christ. Because the people of God. We are reflecting God's character. Because he has given us his spirit when we were saved. The second thing here is, is that it's going to say... Our call is to holiness and our mission is to make disciples or to make followers of Christ among the nations by proclaiming the gospel. We get that in verse, t- uh, verse 9, the second part of First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 in our main text and also in Matthew 28. We're going to talk about more about Matthew 28, the latter part of it, um, here in a little bit. But by proclaiming the gospel, by evangelism, by leading others to faith in Jesus Christ, seeing them baptized, seeing them discipled, seeing them brought into this fellowship of believers, that is our mission. You know, just like if you went and worked for a company, you would really want to know two very important questions on your first day. You would want to know, what's my role in the company? What's my job? And how does my role in the company fit into the overall mission of the company? And that's what we're getting at here. So why, why put these two together? Why put our calling and our mission together? Because really, I could have separate, we could have separated this and we could have done this in two weeks. But I know you're thankful we didn't. Um, but the reason is, is because we can't separate who we are from what we are to be about doing. We can't separate who we are from what we are to be about doing. The church historically, and even today, has become lopsided when we when we do this. We go to one end of the expe- uh, spectrum or the other. We can become obsessed with our sanctification, with Bible study after Bible study, with no application, until we forget that there's a lost and dying world out there. And then on the other end of it, we can neglect our own souls, and we can neglect the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, and compromise that message all in the name of reaching people for Christ. Many unbiblical things have been done in the name of becoming all things to all people. So we're going to start first with our calling to holiness, our calling to holiness. So what does it mean to be holy? I want to do this by answering three questions. What does it mean to be holy How are we made holy? Um, And then I need to look at my outline for the other one. How are we made holy and what does it look like for us to be holy? How are we to be holy? What's the application? So the first one, what does it mean to be holy? And if you look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, it says it is because God is holy. It says, you shall be holy as it is written. You shall be holy in all your conduct because I am holy. Now, the holiness of God is something that we have talked about before, but it's very hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's, it's kind of like trying to explain to someone who has no idea what an alien is, what an alien is, or what a UFO is. I, I, don't, I don't know. I have, no, I have no shelf to put that on. The reason the holiness of God is hard for us to comprehend is found in its definition. And there's a book I would highly recommend you reading. It's called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Um, He does a wonderful job in this. This is something that really has shaken him and has affected him. It tells his story at the beginning of the book, um, how the holiness of God became one of the uh, greatest character traits of God that he spent his life studying. But he says this in his book. He says, "...the primary meaning of holy is separate." It comes from an ancient word that means to cut or to separate. To translate the basic meaning into a contemporary language would be to use the phrase, a cut above. Like we talk about a diamond or it broke the mold with that person or with that, whatever it is. We don't have a human category for holiness. I can give you examples of the mercy of God. I can give you examples of the love of God or the justice of God. But the holiness of God is something completely different. This is also seen um, in the life of Jesus when his disciples, one of which was Peter, who wrote First Peter, was on the boat with him in Mark chapter 4. You might remember when Jesus calms the water, and something interesting takes place there. Um, so Jesus calms the sea, and R.C. Sproul makes this comment about it. He says, what is significant about this scriptural story is that the disciples' fear actually increased after the storm, after the threat of the storm was removed. In chapter 4, verse 30 of Mark, it says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So after Jesus calms the sea, he says this to them. They were in the presence of the holy, he goes on to say. We can understand it if people invented an unholy God, a God who only brought them comfort. But it is another thing to fall pray it is one thing to fall to an earthquake or a flood, but it is another thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The words that the disciples spoke after Jesus calmed the sea are very revealing. They cried out, Who is this? The King James Version expresses it the question like this What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The question was a manner of kind what kind of man they didn't have a category to put Jesus in he was a cut above so the first one there on your outline is for us to be or for us to be holy is is rooted in god's holiness but to be holy means to be set apart from sin that's what being set apart is being set apart from the world set apart from sin being set apart for God. Which then begs the question, how are we as men and women of flesh made holy? How are we made holy? Because we are to be holy. God's not going to command us to do something we are not capable of doing. It is, in, is interesting that in the garden, Satan promised to Adam and Eve it was really interesting. He said, you can become like God. That was the punchline of what he said. You can become like God, knowing good and evil. And we know that they did, and they, they, that happened, and, and, and Satan lied. Um, but what's incredible is the fact that what Satan promised to Adam and Eve, that you could be like God, God actually fulfilled through Christ. God made available through his son's death on the cross what Satan promised to Adam and Eve that they could become like God. So for every believer, Romans 8:29, that all those who are called are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. Another one here is is Hebrews 10:10. 10, 10. It says and by and by the, the death of Christ, it says Uh, by this, it's talking about the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. We have been sanctified, we have been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. And so the, the next one there, under number two on your outline, is that we have been made holy by Jesus's perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins. That's how we are made holy. We exchange our sin we come to him and we leave everything at the foot of the cross and he gives us his holiness his righteousness he imputes it to us so here's how it works when a person realizes that they have sinned against god they are cut they are convicted god shows them the remedy through the word faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of god god shows them the remedy they repent and they trust in christ for salvation. They are adopted, they are redeemed, they are forgiven, they are into the family of God forever, and they are made holy in an instant, positionally. But then we grow in holiness. We grow in that, which brings us to number three. How are you and I to be holy? How do we uh, be holy. We know how we've been made holy. We know what holiness is, but how are we to be holy? So we're going to look at First at Peter, chapter two, for a minute. And so, what you need to know about First uh, Peter is that it was written uh, in somewhere between sixty-two to sixty-three A.D. Uh, Peter wrote it. He was writing to the elect exiles, uh, which were scattered throughout Asia Minor. At the time, uh, Peter was a Jew, so he uses a lot of Old Testament, Old Covenant terminology. Um, but this is important for us to to understand this, to understand the context, because you come across things like this in First Peter chapter two, verse nine. And you and you read First Peter two nine. It says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession." that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That corresponds, you might read that also, you might have a footnote in your Bible that ties that to Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. And then you read in chapter uh, 2, verse 12, it talks about Gentiles. Keep your conduct pure among the Gentiles. So is he talking about real Gentiles there? Well, no, he's using a metaphor of Israel And he's comparing it to the church. And so Gentiles represents the world. He's saying, keep your conduct pure among the world. But he's also, he's writing both to Jew and Gentile Christians. This could be confusing. This could be confusing if you don't understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament and vice versa. So the living stones, the chosen race, the royal priesthood, all those who are set apart for God's possession are sojourners and exiles, are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The second thing we need to know is that First Peter is all about how to live as sojourners and exiles, like we just said, in a world that's becoming more and more hostile to Christ and to his message. And that directly applies to us. So how are we to be Holy. 1 Peter chapter 2, um, there are five things here that I see uh, that help us in this pursuit. And the first one is found in verse 1. It says, put, there, It says that we're going to have to put some certain behaviors away. These that are in this list here, and others as well. And it's because of the fact that it says in chapter 1, verse 23, we have been born. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So God is not going to call us to do something that we cannot do apart from his power. We are to love God and we are to love one another by putting off certain behavior. Verse 2, he says, to long for pure spiritual milk long for pure spiritual milk. He's not making an allusion to immature Christians like Hebrews does. He's not doing that here. He's saying that this is a good thing, to long for pure spiritual milk. For those who have, as it says, tasted and seen that the Lord is good, they long for Him. They long to frequently be nourished by the Word of God. They long for pure spiritual milk. That is how we grow in holiness number three is it says in verse four they come to him they come to him this word carries with it the idea of abiding or to remain with to remain in to continually come to him to continually come to him and confess our sins to continually come to him and ask him for wisdom and for peace and to pray for others we are able to offer spiritual sacrifices to God because God has already accepted us through Christ. We are accepted, we are forgiven, we are redeemed if we are in Christ. Number 4, verse 9 through 10. It says to remember we are to remember who we are in Christ. And this is not just a one-time thing. We have to continually remind ourselves of who we are. In Jesus Christ. Like the Levites who had direct access to God into the Holy of Holies. Like the tribe of Aaron who would continually sacrifice before the Lord. At one time, we were not God's people. Now, we are God's people. Our identity, as we said in the first week, is rooted in Jesus Christ. It's not rooted in what we think about ourselves, what others think about ourselves or anything else other than in Jesus Christ. Number five, we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which is in verse 11, as sojourners and exiles, knowing that this is not our home, but we still, even though we have been set free from the power of sin, we are not set free from its presence. We still suffer. We still have friends who get sick and die, family. We still have hard things. We still have the flesh that we have to deal with and battle every day. But brothers and sisters, we have to abstain from the passions of your flesh. Hold yourself back from the fleshly lust that wages war against your soul and against my soul. If we have been born again, if we have been born from above, we will grow in imaging Christ in this holiness. But that is not our only aim. As we said at the beginning, we have to be balanced. And, and I want to, before God, the best I can, teach the whole counsel of God, as, as it says in Acts chapter 20, is that it, is it on one hand, we have to do all these things for our own soul. But on the other hand, if, if we were only created to be holy and to be with the Lord, to enjoy Him forever, He would have taken us home the second we were saved. But you're sitting upright and you're breathing here this morning. So we have a mission. We have a task. And that's what I want to focus on now is is our mission. Our mission is proclamation. Our mission is to proclaim. That is our mission. So we're going to go to that next. So why do we proclaim? Why do we proclaim? Because we are commanded to. A seminary student was once asked by a professor, he they, they went around in a circle and he posed the question, he said, if, if, if the doctrine of predestination is true, which it is, he said, then what's the point of evangelism? So I went around the room, student after student after student answered, some good, some didn't know what to say, But it came to one student, and he answered this way. He said, Dr. So-and-so, I know you're probably looking for some deep, intelligent, important answer, but I just want to bring something up here. Didn't Jesus command us to do evangelism? And the professor said, yes. What is not profound about the fact that the Lord of Lords and our King of Kings, the one who saved our soul, commanded us to do something? And so the first reason that we are to be about evangelism is because the Lord commanded us to. The Lord commanded us to. There on your outline, there's one of my, one of, a quote I love by John Piper. He says that missions exists because the worldwide worship of Jesus does not. People worship all sorts of things. I mean, we come and we sing and we worship through song, through reading of the Word, you know, on Sunday mornings, but worship happens Monday. Worship happens Friday night. Worship happens Saturday morning. People worship all sorts of things, but they don't, they don't all worship God. And because God is not worshipped globally by everyone, until Jesus comes back, missions is going to exist. And so when I use the word evangelism, um, you know, if it's, if it's new news, it's not true news. And so um, I, I like to read a lot. And I, I use a lot of quotes. I hope it doesn't throw you all off. Um, but but I, I want to be in the minds of solid biblical people from the past. And so that's why I use a lot of quotes. But a man named J. Max Stiles defines evangelism like this. It's pretty simple. It says, evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. It's teaching the gospel, but not just for teaching the gospel, with an aim to persuade people to come to Christ, to implore with them, to beg them to come to Christ. So the first thing is we are commanded to. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, we should have that memorized. It's, you know, all authority on, on heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. And so, because of the fact that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ, we are to go and to do this. We get to go and do this. And the great thing about that promise is, it says that He's always going to be with us when we go, when we obey Him. The second reason that um, that we do evangelism that that we are on mission for the lord is for his glory is for his glory that's what the end of the the passage in first in peter 2 says it says that, that 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 the world may see your good deeds like it does in matthew 5 and 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 may glorify god It's all for his glory and for his honor not for ours the third reason um, that we proclaim is because we get to I mean we get to you're like it's all command and this is this is what you have to do it's like but we also get to because we've tasted and seen that he is good because our souls have been satisfied with christ we get to do this i use this example all the time but it's like if you go see a good movie if you eat at a good restaurant if you have a favorite fishing spot you you say hey i want to share this with you I, l- let me tell you about this movie. Let me tell you about how good of a stake is at so and so. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. So number two, what are we to proclaim? What are we to proclaim? I hope we never get weary of hearing the gospel, of hearing what what God has done for us in Christ. I know our hearts get weighed down sometime and we have so many different things going on in our lives, but Man, this is our salvation, this is our sanctification, this is our glory, this is our everything, the gospel. The gospel message is the good news, the evangel, the good news, or or someone who brings good news. And if you're taking notes, an easy way to remember it, and I stole this from somewhere, I can't remember, but it's four words, the gospel's four words. It's God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ response. God, God is, we begin with God. God is holy. He created everything very good. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden. Man sinned against God. He disobeyed God. He ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result, every person who is born after them has an inclination or has only one desire, and that is towards sin. This explains suffering This explains why we die. This explains why we would say bad things happen to good people. This sin explains that. Christ, God, man, Christ. So, God in His loving kindness for His glory made the only way for us to be restored, forgiven, and spared the wrath of God and set free from sin and death. He sent Christ to take the punishment that we deserve. And now the part we can't forget to mention is the response. God, man, Christ, response. So what should our response be to that? Well, Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. And So we can pray to God. We can, we can, we can pray uh, a prayer to Him. And it says that all uh, who hear the word and respond by placing their faith and, and trust in what Jesus did for them on the cross... And by repenting of their sins, by forsaking their sins, by changing their mind, which leads to changing the way they live, will have eternal life. God, man, Christ, response. That is the message that we proclaim. So how do we proclaim? Number three. How do we proclaim? Well, we proclaim the gospel with our words and... With our witness. Now we do this individually when we go on walks, when we're at the store, when we're at a restaurant, um, at school, in many different places. We do this individually through personal evangelism, through discipling others, by pointing others in our family to Christ. And we also do this as a church. We do this as a church as well. We are to be about local missions. We are to be serving in the community. One of my prayers is church planning. I would absolutely love to see one day this church be able to be healthy enough. I'm not saying it's not healthy, I'm just saying to the point where we could plant another church. That would be awesome. Global missions we are to be about as a church global missions seeing the gospel spread to all peoples it's the same mission but it just takes different forms the reason i chose the word proclaim is because that's the word in chapter uh, 2 of first peter uh, in chapter 2 verse 9 says proclaim the excellencies of christ we do that with our lips, we do that with our lives, we do that with our words, and we do that with our witness, how we live as well. But basically, it's just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. You know, and it's also interesting, too, I found out that um, eight times in the Gospels, the same word proclaim is used by Jesus in referring to proclaiming the kingdom, announcing the coming kingdom proclaiming liberty to the captive, salvation to the lost. You know, and this is not just something, and I, I, think, we, I think we know this, um, I think this is probably more of a thought of yesteryears, but it's important to remember that this is not just a command or call for pastors, or for people who are called to ministry, or people who are called to missions. If you're a Christian, and you're breathing, you're, call, you're a missionary. I mean, that, that's the f- you will reach people for Christ. I can never reach. My purpose is to equip, to build up, to love, to care for the flock, to lead the flock in many different ways. And your job is to reach people for Christ that I could never reach. So every Christian, Spurgeon says, every Christian is either a missionary or is an impostor. So. How can we be about becoming a better witness for Christ? How can we be about doing that? I just want to give you five things here. <clears throat> five things that I think that, Lord willing, will encourage your heart in this uh, matter and encourage my heart as I think and meditate on them as well. And the first one is intentionality. Being intentional. Being intentional. Nothing gets done without intentionality. And I think many a times it's not because we don't necessarily know what we need to do or what we should be doing or the conversations we should be having. I think it's just a lack of doing it. I think it's just a lot of times a lack of being intentional. And so this is also true for telling people the good news and helping them grow spiritually. Helping them make that next step towards Christ. The second thing is, is living a holy life and enjoying your relationship with God. You can be a better witness for Christ if you enjoy God. If you love the Lord, if you love spending time with the Lord, and you are living a holy life, you're saying yes to God and you're saying no to your flesh and to the world, you will be a more effective witness for Christ. You say, well, how how does that work? The best evangelists, the best missionaries are the most desperate people for God themselves. They know their need for God. We teach people to treasure and to love the things that we prioritize with our lives. If you don't think that's true, look at your children. Any child is going to love and is going to treasure the things their parents do. I like eating granola at night. I like having a granola before bed sometimes. I can't go in the kitchen and pour a bowl of granola and sit in the living room and eat it without Tommy wanting her own little bowl. That's just the way it is. And it's true for other people in our lives as well. The things that we treasure, the things that we love, the things that we delight in, we are teaching them what is important by that. Number three, when you're talking to people, listen to them. Not just listen, but hear their story. Ask them questions about themselves. Get to know them. Let, you, let them know that you really do care about your soul, that they're a person, that they're not a project. That they're a person, they're not a project. We are not some business trying to propagate our uh, slogan just to see cookie cutters. We're serving the King of glory and the things that are coming are a reality and so it's loving if we if we if we do win them to Christ number 4 number 4 seek to turn normal conversations into spiritual ones we have to pray for this we have to pray for wisdom we have to pray that God would give us boldness that would, he would give us courage that he would give us opportunities to do this we have to pray for this but we must seek to turn the conversation over to a spiritual one. One thing I like to do is to ask, do you go to church anywhere? It's a pretty normal question. Or, what do you believe about God? I believe the most important thing about a person is what they believe about God. What do you believe about God? And that's going to open up all sorts of can of worms. Number five, do the right thing and leave the results to God. Share the gospel with them? Yes but also leave God, leave room for God to use you in their lives in different ways, to serve them, to help them as much as you can, to pray for them. Asking your waiter when you go to a restaurant, hey, how, we're going to pray to Jesus before the meal. Is there anything we can pray for you about? You would be surprised how many times that's happened and had men and women cry because of things that are going on in their lives that we just have no idea idea about. And I had a lady one time say, you know, that's the second person that's done that for me today. I was like, that's pretty cool. Never heard that before. But leave room for the result, leave the results to God, and allow the Lord to use them in, in, in other ways of their life, other than just proclaiming the gospel, but definitely proclaim the gospel to them. God, man, Christ, response. Uh, That they, uh, that we may lead them, to faith in Christ. They need to see their need for Christ and they need to see the the answer to that solution. So, I think what I've been trying to get at here this morning, um, I don't really use illustrations like this a lot, but I just, I want to do this. This is called a compass. I know most people have it on their phones now. Well, in this crowd, a lot of people probably already know that. This isn't a room of millennials. But, um, but I also have on my phone here a compass. This is a compass. Just, you can't really see him up here, but I'm just going to put him right here. Um, as Christians, we're like compasses. They may take different forms. They may look different. This one's from World War II. This is a modern one. it may look different. But a compass's purpose is to point to true north. That's what the compass does. The purpose of the compass is for people who walk into the woods and realize they're lost, help them to find their way back home. That's our calling and mission. Calling is to be holy because God is holy. Our mission is to point people home because we know the way of salvation. Father, Lord, thank you for not just leaving us as orphans, but showing us the truth in your word, revealing to us, God, the way of salvation, revealing us the way to be holy through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, Lord, that you have not, that you did not just let us eat of the tree of life and live forever in a state of sin and death, God, but... You have redeemed us. You have saved us, Lord. For you have saved us for a a purpose and a mission for this church, God. You have saved this church for a purpose and a mission, Lord. And we know exactly what that mission is. So, Lord, I I pray that um, hearts would be stirred and encouraged, God, to go out, Lord, and to fulfill the mission that you have called us to do, to reach people for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.